Welcome. You've joined the Sexy Lifestyle with Carol and David. Our show is here to help you achieve better, better love, better sex, and a better, more intimate relationship. Are you ready? Take notes and send us your questions. This is the Sexy Lifestyle. Now, here are your hosts, Carol and David. Hey, everyone. Are you ready to spice up your sex life and live happy, healthy, and always horny? Well, you've come to the right place because that's what the Sexy Lifestyle is all about. David and I are passionate about making your sex life the best it can be. We sure are, and you know we love talking and learning about everything related to sex and sexuality, sexual health, and of course, sexual pleasure. And we love diving deep into the naughty, the taboo, and the unknown. And we hope our discussions open up your dialogue about great sex because, well, great sex matters, and we all deserve it. We sure do. So, are you looking at your relationship and wondering if it continues to serve your need for love, excitement, and sexual exploration? Perhaps you're curious about the world of non-monogamy, but you're not sure how open you want to get. On today's show, we'll be talking with a journalist who chronicled the journey she took with her partner into the world of swinging and polyamory in search of a relationship style that proves and provides a healthy level of love intimacy and desire for the both of them and then she published a book about it she absolutely did but first like we do every show we're going to tell you about our top waterproof blanket because great sex is messy sex but nobody wants to sleep in that wet spot right so if you're fed up with having to change your sheets every time you have sex then you need one of our top waterproof blankets it's 100 percent waterproof and leak proof and it guarantees to keep your bed and mattress dry no matter how wet it gets from messy massage oils or silicone lubes to all sorts of sexy wetness, just throw it in the washer and dryer and it comes out looking like brand new. And you don't have to leave your house to get one. Simply and safely go to Amazon and order yours today. Search Top Waterproof Blanket. That's T-O-P, Waterproof Blanket. Great sex starts now. It sure does. And so does today's show. This is The Sexy Lifestyle. You know we're Carol and David. And we're so excited to welcome back today's special guest. Rachel Krantz is an award-winning journalist who just released her new book, Open, an uncensored memoir of love, liberation, and non-monogamy. Wow, this show is right up our alley after 16 years of being swingers. I cannot wait to talk to her and hear all about her book. Rachel, thanks so much for taking time out of your busy day and being with us today. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you so much for having me on. So why don't we start off by you just telling us a little bit about yourself and how you fell into this world of sexuality. Sure, yeah. Um, so I was working as a journalist um, and editor, really, at a website called Bustle. Um, and was a serial monogamist, you know, as most people are in their 20s, uh, just calling it dating, basically, and then falling into relationship after relationship, and then growing gradually bored and restless. Um, and then, you know, I met who I call Adam in the book when I was 27 um, and freshly out of this most recent, you know, repeated pattern cycle of had just gone through a breakup. And he was very compelling to me and let me know uh, within, I guess, our by our second date before we'd even kissed that, he was non-monogamous, that if I were to um, have a relationship with him, that I wouldn't have to give up the possibility of new experiences, potentially even falling in love again. But at the same time, he said he was interested in, um, you know, finding a partner who he would share his life with. So I thought it was kind of this very compelling offer. He was older and more experienced. And I thought, okay, you know, I've read Sex at Dawn. I've been curious to try this, but I just have no idea how serial monogamy is not working. Maybe this is my way to have the cake and eat the pie too. So I decided to try. <laughs> now, is that the first time you'd heard of non-monogamy and different things, uh, different types of relationships? No, I mean, uh, I grew up in the Bay Area and then went to NYU. So it was it was definitely around, you know, and I had read Sex at Dawn um, and X had mailed it to me after our breakup saying it had really <laughs> helped him afterwards and he hoped it would help me too. And, uh, you know, I resented the passive aggressive implications, but I devoured it anyway. And I found it a very compelling 
read and this idea that the standard evolutionary narrative I'd been sold was maybe just one more product of patriarchy and capitalism, that perhaps it was not, quote unquote, you know, natural or destined for me to want to entrap a man to monopolize his sperm. And in fact, there's <laughs> evidence that I might want to be just as promiscuous, if not more, you know, in terms of sperm competition. And um, yeah, so I, I found it very compelling, but I just felt like I had no idea where to start. And the idea made me both excited and, and nervous. Mm-hmm. Very cool. Very cool. So, you know, we're going to talk a lot about um, the, the journey you went on and the sex and all the fun experiences you had. But when you were younger... Like, were you curious about sex and sexuality? And, and was your, your, your sex life in your teens and your 20s, were you promiscuous then? Did you, did you want sex? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I was very lucky in that, like I said, I grew up in the Bay Area, um, you know, with a lot of friends who had, like, gay parents. And that was kind of normal that there was some idea of variety. I don't remember ever being exposed to the idea of non-monogamy, but... My parents themselves were very open. They were divorced. And so, you know, my mom was with my stepdad most of my childhood and adolescence. And that was like her third marriage. Mm. Um, So I kind of had the idea of like, you know, maybe it's not just one person (laughs) in your life. And my mom's a sort of very free woman who exposed me to lots of, you know, Joni Mitchell and those sorts of alternative narratives. and was pretty open about it. I think in high school, I was a little bit of a, a tiny bit of a late bloomer. I didn't have my first boyfriend till I was, you know, 17. So I guess towards the later part of high school. I didn't lose my virginity till I was 18. Um, and I didn't drink or do drugs. And uh, But I was always very interested in sex once it was you know, something that was on the table. Um, but yeah, I didn't lose my virginity till the summer before college. And then when I went to college, explored more, but really did kind of have the pattern of mostly having boyfriends. Um, knowing that I had this attraction to women as well, but not really understanding what to do with it, kind of often telling myself, oh, that's not real. You just are like, wanting to be them in these, you know, movies or sexy scenarios and kind of pushing that to the side um, and going with boyfriend after boyfriend and basically falling in love and then usually falling out of love within eight months to two years, wash, rinse, repeat. So I'm going to just say that that's probably, I'm going to call it normal. So you really had a normal uh, upbringing and a normal sexual experience that most people do have. But were you able to talk to your girlfriends about your sexual questions or were you open with your friends at that time of your life? Definitely. Yeah, I definitely was. And, um, you know, my best friend throughout college, um, he later came out as a trans man, but when we were in college was a identified as a lesbian. And so, you know, he and other people in my life were also queer. So I always sort of had this diversity of sexual experience and openness around me in addition to, you know, straight girlfriends. And um, I, I knew like one friend who had tried non-monogamy in college and I was even so curious about it that I had a class and I guess foreshadowed working on this book where the assignment was to like delve into a subculture for the semester. Mm. And so I sort of explored it through her experience going to the meeting she was going to and reporting on it. So that was kind of the first inkling of my being interested, but I, I didn't try it back then. Cool. 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 So, I mean, we're going to, we're going to talk a lot later about swinging and open relationships and poly. Um, but, you know, Katy Perry wrote a song, I Kissed a Girl, and I liked it. When was that first experience for you? Yeah, when I was 22, um, kind of fresh out of college, I I had been, yeah, I tried going on OkCupid for the first time. And by then, you know, I'd watched all seasons of the L word and like (laughs) masturbated furiously to it. But again, I would sort of gaslight myself and be like, that doesn't mean anything, does it? You know, but 
I sort of was like, well, maybe I should try to explore this. Like, clearly it's compelling to me. Um, and I tried putting all different kinds of labels on the profile, like bisexual, pansexual, um, heteroflexible, like even just straight at certain points when that wasn't working. I didn't have a ton of luck, but with that one woman, we had a, we had a fun time. Um, but yeah, I didn't lose my virginity with her. I kind of, we went back to her place and started making out and, uh, I felt like things were moving very fast, like faster than they, I was comfortable with a man either, you know? Um, but I think I was so self-conscious that I felt like, oh, maybe that means I'm not really into women if I don't want to go down on her right away on our first date. Yeah. Right. But I felt this pressure and I, I got down to her belt and I remember that I was like scared and I was like, this is a really cute belt. And she started laughing and I just felt like, oh my God, that's the most like straight girl thing you could possibly say in that moment, like compliment her belt. And so then I think, yeah, that kind of is where it stayed for the night was above the waist. Mm -hmm. And I went home and I remember feeling exhilarated, but for whatever reason, um, I think she got into a relationship with someone else or maybe she kind of thought, oh, this is just like a straight girl experimenting. It mm -hmm. didn't continue. And then though I continued to have crushes and try to go on dates periodically, I continued to not have good luck with getting women to be interested in me until um, I was 28. Mm -hmm. It's interesting that you talk about that because in the lifestyle, couples who are getting in and starting to explore, it normally happens when the two women connect and, you know, we, we like you, we're, we're not into labels. Um, and you talked about, you know, being bi whatever. Well, Carol says she's bi-situational. So if the situation's good <laughs> for her, she sometimes bi-selfish. Mm -hmm. But, um, you know, the fact that you got in and got naked with another woman and it wasn't really, oh, my God, I'm all in for this. It's because you probably like cock as well. And, you know, you want to have a bit of both. And I'm sure we're going to talk about that a little bit later. But it's very interesting to see how people who get into the open poly swinging lifestyle, it's normally the girl girl that starts well, first. Well, it's often. Yeah. If, if those people find it. Yeah, but I think that's way. also because it's much more acceptable right, right, for right, it right. to be. Like yeah. swinger spaces are usually pretty heteronormative except that the women are allowed to play with right. other women and, mm -hmm. and so I think if it was considered hot for men to play with other men by most women you'd see a lot more of it yeah, Carol thinks I it's agree. hot I love it I think it's really hot but still it's, um, it's not quite out there as it is for female playing together um, but when you get to know the couple a lot more then they become they come out and say this is the thing I like to do which I'm really excited about that these days because when we first started in the swinging lifestyle you rarely saw men or, or men or, saying that yeah, I'm bi, admitting that they were bi, and today, in, in a swinging in a swinging context, yeah. you know, it's not like okay, I just want another guy. It's like, all right, we're all playing together, and um, I'll suck the other guy's cock yeah. too. Well, we see that mm -hmm. a whole lot more now than we did at the beginning, especially so, with the younger uh, generations. Yeah, yeah, I think that's great. I think it's wonderful, and that people are feeling a little bit more open to say those things and mm. yeah, actually say absolutely. them out loud. <laughs> That's one thing I'm hoping my book will help with is there's a lot of depictions of male sexual fluidity and mm -hmm. kind of the closeting of it. And, oh, yeah. um, and also, I mean, I think that, you know, there's the idea that hot wifing and cuckolding, which is really a very popular it is. fetish, mm -hmm. is possibly sort of one more socially acceptable way for men to explore. Correct. In part, it's not, it's certainly not all that it is or what it even is for many men but for some of them it might be a way in the swinging spaces in general to explore mm. their curiosity of mm. being around other naked men in sexual situations mm -hmm. without actually touching them mm -hmm. and of course we still see some men who want to be on the other side of the bed when there's another make it naked man in the room and that's okay too it doesn't mean you mm -hmm. have to be curious i don't, I don't know when we did double vag two cocks in your <laughs> pussy i got so turned on uh, yeah and that's as close as you can get with another guy is two cocks and a pussy and it's the sensation is so different because on one side is your pussy and the other side your cocks rubbing up against his cock and the sensation, right. I mean, the, the the 
want to come is there, but the the need to not come is like so <laughs> mentally straining. But I mean, and Carol, like she just squirted everywhere. It was her pussy was so full. But you know, the fact that you're there with another guy, it was hot. It was mm-hmm. it was very mm-hmm. sexy and erotic. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Yeah. And of course, if I'm sucking two cocks at the same time, those cocks are touching each other. Right. Yeah. Well, with permission and with openness, it's great. There's lots of things that you can try and do. Yeah. We're going to ask Rachel all about that later. But I want to know, so when did you discover this world of non-monogamy and what did you find intriguing about it? Yeah. I mean, so it was through this relationship when I was 27 and because I was nervous about the idea of him being with other people, but very much we were, had fallen in love. He kind of proposed a generous offer that for as long as I wanted, it would be open on my side, but he would be monogamous. Oh. And so the expectation was that, you know, obviously that deal would not be forever, but it was kind of a way for me to explore um, in a way that felt safer. So we started going to a few um, parties and, that's where he also had confessed to me that he was specifically very much into MFMs, um, hot wifing, really. Um, and I was like, great, cool. This is awesome. I didn't even, I had never even thought of that as a possibility. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's sort of how we explored the most then outside of parties. I was seeking out MFMs as well. Um, but then about, six months into doing that, I started, um, you know, flirting with this waiter at my local hangout spot and kind of making out with him on the way home. And, and it started feeling wrong that I was having these experiences apart. And he was kind of, um, Adam was at home in a monogamous cage of my making. So I decided to open it up. And very quickly after that, he started, um, going on dates with other people and that's where my first wrestling with jealousy Mm -hmm. began Mm -hmm. and from there there was lots more exploring of um, my own queerness of uh, the larger swinger community of relationship anarchy lots of different styles Mm -hmm. absolutely so just to make it everything clear we're going to say an mfm is a male female a threesome with two men and one woman Mm -hmm. Um, but also let's just talk a little bit about the difference between swinging and open and poly relationships let's get that out there clear so when we discuss it further everyone understands what we're talking about for sure yeah so i mean again People, some people who identify as in the lifestyle by other people's definition would be considered like polyamorous in practice. So everyone's, you know, going to identify with the label that they most like or feel suits them and have different definitions. But in my experience, the difference is usually swingers do things together as a couple. There's a total prioritizing of that relationship over others. There tends to be more of a focus on um, casual sex than emotional intimacy or considering outside relationships to be um, emotionally attached um, or, or really, you know, any separation between the couple. Um, And then with an open relationship, it's often okay. It's in the word that you're kind of saying there's one central relationship here, right? And often that's an open relationship is like a primary secondary model um, of polyamory is what you would often see if people are not swingers and saying they're in an open relationship, which is possible too. Um, But so if you're in a primary secondary model of an open relationship, that would kind of be the same idea that one relationship is of primary importance and concern, the partner might have certain like veto powers. If they want you to stop dating someone else, you might have certain things you only do with that person. Uh, You spend the majority of your time with them, but the difference is those people might, you know, actually have other secondary relationships independently that could be casual or relatively, you know, serious and, and uh, emotionally engaged And then polyamory, again, could be that secondary primary model. You could call yourself polyamorous. Um, 
but you also have people who practice um, non-hierarchical polyamory or relationship anarchy. There's different terms for it. And those are people who would feel like, you know, there shouldn't be a predetermined um, hierarchy that potentially each relationship is unique or equal, that it can be fluid, that it, you know, they're kind of saying each situation depends and you might have a situation where, you know, you have three partners who are all considered on of equal importance or on an equal level. Yeah. And let's just remind everybody that there's no right way or wrong way to practice any of these types of relationships. It's really whatever works for you and your partner. And you guys should, whoever's interested in doing it, should talk about it, define the boundaries, define the rules, if you want to call it rules, and then and explore in that way. And it's whatever is good for your yeah, couple. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. And also uh, what we've seen a lot in the polyamorous type relationship is if there's that primary relationship, which it could be heterosexual or it could be homosexual, but then then the secondary one is very often the Different, opposite. Right. Exactly. So that, you know, you're getting a little bit of both, the best of both worlds kind of thing. And I think that's kind of why it suits a lot and of then people. There's, and then there's relationships we've seen with swingers who are actually dating and... Oh, yeah, they're exclusive. They're exclusive yeah. to another couple. Right. And there is emotion there and there is love. And some of them go on vacation with the other partner. So, But they it, might not consider that polyamory because, no. like you said, swingers yeah. right. have that primary, the most important About is the sex. primary. Yeah, sex, exactly. sex, sex, so. sex. Cool. That's cool. great. What a great explanation of all those different terms. So let's talk about, you know, the fact that 21% of U.S. single adults have reportedly been in a polyamorous relationship. Like, why is this becoming so large out there? Yeah, I mean, I think that it's partially people are just talking about it more and admitting it more. I think this is something that has always existed. But I also think there's a growing recognition that, uh, you know, traditional monogamy is not working for right. a lot of people. And we have 50% of marriages ending in divorce. We have... Uh, you know, in 2013, women were 40% more likely to cheat than they were in 1990. And young women are cheating at a higher rate than men the same age. Mm -hmm. So, you know, despite the stereotype that men are the ones more likely to cheat, it's actually women who are often especially affected by a lack of sexual novelty. You know, there's this one really interesting study I found of like over 11,000 British people and it found women in a relationship over a year old are less interested in sex and it gets worse if they live with a partner and that after 90 months together that their desire experienced a real drop off in desire yeah. but uh, men's actually tended to hold a little more steady mm -hmm. after that point. So I think that yeah there's an increasing amount of research that women especially like we crave novelty yeah, and we get bored it's not, easily. Mm -hmm. yeah the, the psychology of it is so much of what tends to turn us on not to say it doesn't with men but there really is uh yeah the brain is where it all begins rather than just a physiological uh response or process and so it makes sense that as women gain more financial independence more um, freedom over their own reproduction, although of course that's we're going backwards uh, there. <laughs> under threat, um, that we're saying like, hey, I don't know if I actually want to just only have sex with one person for the rest of my life because that's what was sold to me in, mm -hmm. in movies. Right, right. Mm -hmm. and you know, Rachel, um, Carol and I have been in this world of sexuality, open relationships, poly, swinging for 15, 16 years now. And as we progress further down the road, we see that more and more of the younger 20s, 30s, 40s coming in are a lot more sexually, they want to have a larger sexual exploration journey. And a lot of it, I believe, has to do with the things that we're seeing on TV, Fifty Shades of Grey, uh, Sex Life, uh, Sex Education, all these shows that are talking about sex, opening up, giving people permission to talk about sex. And then they're saying, I want to try. I, I want to go out. And, you know, you were talking about labels earlier. And you don't have to have a label because you can try something this week and something different the next week and then go back. And, and you don't have to be something. You can just go out and have great sex. I mean, we, yeah. we, we have we have the last part of our show is always called Great Sex Matters because it really does. <laughs> it really, really does. 
and um, we believe that that the younger generations coming up are into just trying different things. And I, I believe that some people who say they're polyamorous don't quite get you know the definition of it, and they just want to explore sexually, and maybe they want to be in a threesome or a thruple with someone else. And, you know, it might last a couple of months and they say, yeah, I was in a polyamorous relationship, but really they were in a thruple because the, the sexual um, multiplications or permutations that they got out of it, the male, female, male, female, female, male, uh, whatever they want, was something that society never said was okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. And I think, you know, with those increasing number of, depictions and pop culture certainly one of them has been uh you know increasing depictions of queerness and right. how even i was saying okay like i always kind of had these confusing feelings but then i watched all of the l word and suddenly it was like oh that's mm-hmm. like how you would maybe have sex mm-hmm. that's what it would look like mm-hmm. because i was not like uh, like many women i didn't like a lot of depictions of porn and stuff. So most of what I got was from TV Mm -hmm, in terms of exploring and, you know, seeing eyes wide shut of like, oh, wait, I want to go to a sex party someday. And that's where I got like the picture of what that might look like, which of course is not what it looks like. (laughs) Yeah, I know. um, That's unfortunate. And it's fun that you actually found that out. And we're going to hear a little bit more about that in the next segment. So we're just going to take a quick break and remind everybody that this is The Sexy Lifestyle. We are Carol and David, and we're talking to award-winning journalist, Rachel Krantz, who just released her new book. So let's just talk about topless travel right now and all the amazing trip that we have for next plan for next year. Absolutely. Topless travel is the best. They have the coolest host couples and the best trips. And so if, if you're looking for the sexiest and most erotic vacation ever, then you simply must book with topless travel from Hedonism 2 in Jamaica, where Rachel has been. And we're going to talk about it in a minute. And Desire in Cancun to all the Bliss Cruise experiences. Topless travel needs to be your number one choice. Yeah, their trips and events are all about the people and their sexy fun experiences. So let's just shout out to those sexy host couples, including Chelsea and Mark, uh, who are there to ensure that you have one hell of a sexy vacation. Absolutely. And we're on um, a whole bunch of Topless Travels trips. But listen up, the one that we're really looking forward to is the Sexy Silver Full Takeover at Desire Pearl, October 16th to 23rd, 2022. Two, we're going to be broadcasting our podcast live from there. Rooms are absolutely selling out quickly, so go on to toplesstravel.com and book now. Come and join us for a week, and we would absolutely love to meet you in person. Yeah, and if you want some more information about their trips or any topless travel event, you can also go to thesexylifestyle.com and click on the topless travel events link so you can book the sexiest and most erotic vacation ever. Ever, ever, ever. Alrighty, back to the show. You know we're Carol and David. This is The Sexy Lifestyle, and we are having an amazing chat with journalist and author Rachel Krantz, who just released her new book, Open, an uncensored memoir of love, liberation, and non-monogamy. Okay, Rachel, let's get into the book and tell us why you wrote this book. Yeah, thanks. Um, Well, I wrote it because as I was living it, um, an agent approached me and said, like, you should write a book about this. And I had already been thinking, wow, this would make a great book someday. But I, uh, you know, knew I was not ready to write a book. I was still like living it and it was very confusing. This was around when I had just started writing about being in an open relationship on the internet and that's how the agent found me. Um, But, you know, the agent widely said, she was like, just start writing things down. So I started, you know, recording. I'd already been keeping a detailed journal, um, but, you know, I started approaching it more with the eye of a journalist as well, like conducting interviews along the way, but also recording um, certain dates or arguments or therapy sessions, all with, you know, the consent of the people I was around. Um, And it soon became a sort of coping mechanism for as all these paradigms were melting around me and the ground felt so unsteady. And as the relationship Um, at the center of the book with Adam became increasingly plagued by gaslighting. And I started basically losing trust in my own sense of reality or judgment. 
recording was a way to try to have some sort of solid record of what was actually happening when I had this very strong voice telling me, no, you're remembering that wrong. No, mm-hmm. like you, you're mm-hmm. misinterpreting things. Your fear is projecting it. I was like, I don't know how I got into this situation, but I'm going to have some sort of clear record so that if I ever want to, you know, look through the rubble of it, that I'll know what actually happened because I don't trust myself to remember or look at things through my own eyes anymore. So, um, and then when I, you know, emerged from that whole journey of having tried all these different styles of non-monogamy and having my world open up in all these great ways, but also having gone to some lower low points than ever before that being like, wow, I have more than enough material to write a book here. It became a way to basically make sense and meaning out of the experience I went through and I guess reclaim a sense of control over the narrative after I had lost um, kind of my own trust in myself as narrator of my own life. Mm-hmm. But in your journey and in your writing, you actually tell all and very a lot of intimate details about oh, your own. intimate, explicit. I mean, yeah. Carol and I were reading some of it. We put it down. We had to have sex. We got so turned on. Because, Yay, because that's be, what I hope No, happens. because a lot of the stuff that you describe is stuff that we've experienced and we can visualize some of the, the situations, situations that yeah. you were in. So, you know, how did it feel putting all this in a book and now you're telling the world about the cocks that you sucked and the pussies that you licked and the orgies that you were in? I mean, there's no hiding it now. You can't go work for the government. I know, I know. I mean, I think that it's scary, but it's also quite liberating because I feel like, all right, like I'm, I have nothing to hide now, yeah. you know? And so yeah. in a way it makes me feel sort of fearless because I'm the one who got to tell the narrative, right? And so often, especially women, like you don't get to do that. And I guess it was also important to me to go there. Well, one, because I don't have any interest in reading a narrative where the writer is holding back, especially with memoir. And I feel like you have to make yourself incredibly vulnerable or it's not an interesting story. And, And, you know, you can't write about this or you could and hold back the most explicit juicy details, but it's kind of like, what's the point? Right. I mean, that's, um, that's the fun part of our, about our podcast is it's uncensored. We tell our stories the way they are. There's no filters. Our guests um, are able to tell their stories like you are. And we're going to get into your sex life a little bit later. And yeah. it is very liberating and freeing and being able to tell the world just how great your relationship is, how great your sex is, and how great your life is. We're so grateful for it. Yeah. And sometimes well, you- I mean, I think the other part, sorry, of what I was going to say is that the other reason I want to do it is sort of a political statement that, you know, we have these ridiculous uh, dichotomies in our kind of Protestant <laughs> culture and patriarchal culture that's still very much like, okay, either you're an award-winning journalist doing important reporting, or maybe you're a woman who deigns to like write about her sex life, in which case you're kind of like silly and writing confessional erotica. And certainly there have been many women before me who blur these lines, who I walk in the footsteps of. But for me, it was really important that part of the statement be like, these things coexist in me yeah. and they're going to coexist in this book. Like you're going to hopefully read it and get incredibly turned on. But then also like, this is not just erotica. It's some work to read the book in terms of like, you're going to learn right. like about the context for the things you're reading. And there's going to be commentary from sex researchers and psychologists. So, you know, it seeks to seduce and educate in equal measure. And I think that like one of the most, effective ways to draw people in is to have that sense of erotic thread that was the truth of what was there firsthand but also i'm kind of slipping in all kinds of medicine so that hopefully by the end you've learned a ton of stuff you never were looking to learn in the first place absolutely so while you were writing the book which part did you enjoy reliving the most um i mean probably falling in love with adam the beginnings of things (laughs) like was the most fun to remember over and over again um, because, yeah, I think it was the first great love of my life and the falling in love was so 
romantic and all-consuming that it was uh, fun to relive those moments. And the positive moments as well. And you know, one of the biggest questions we always get asked about being swingers is how can you watch your partner fuck somebody else? And, (laughs) you know, um, the opposite of jealousy is compersion. And we find in our relationship that we get turned on and we enjoy watching it. And um, anytime we go into a lifestyle or swinging experience, it makes our couple stronger and it makes our love stronger for each other because we're emotionally, we're emotionally monogamous (laughs) and we just like having sex with other people. Um, So it's so great to hear you say that you fell in love and then you went out, sorry, to explore your sexual adventure. Yeah. And I think that I discovered the same thing. Also that the prick of jealousy during sex can be quite erotic in itself. It doesn't, you know, it's very, it might be the opposite of compersion in some ways, but it's also kind of the sister of it. Like it's, it's a very thin line. You can have that prick of like, oh, that kind of hurts a little bit, like in a really good way. And it turns into this pleasure. And I know that's a lot of what Adam really enjoyed about seeing with me with another man right. was like that feeling of good hurt that then he could control and channel into the erotic and into the competitive. Um, and I found that when I saw him with other women, it was the same thing of, you know, maybe in the beginning, my response would be like afraid or kind of defensive. But once we were actually in that scenario, I would feel very turned on Um and any jealousy felt very fluid and fleeting. Yeah, exactly. That's kind of how we describe it when people ask us about the jealousy because it's really a fleeting moment of jealousy, like you said, could be hurtful, but then it's not. And that's because of the security that you have with your partner, knowing that you're going home with this partner no matter who he fucks, right? This is your best friend, your lover, your your partner in life. And this is just a fuck. Like, it has nothing else to do with it. That's kind of how and we, we deal we act, with it. We actually learn from fucking other people. So Carol, like, says... <laughs> well, new techniques we certainly yeah. learn. <laughs> Man, that girl was sucking your cock. How did that feel? I was yeah. like, that's amazing. Yeah. But what was she doing? And we trade stuff like that. And I go down on a girl, and she has this massive orgasm. And she's like, well, how did that happen so quickly? It's like, I don't know. Her clit was there. And we, we <laughs> have each sexual experience yeah. is, is new to us. And, and we learn. I mean, Carol has so many more variations of giving blowjobs now than we first started together. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. Yeah. So getting yeah. back to your book, what do you think was the experience that changed you the most? Hmm, so many of them. But um, I guess probably my first, experiences with uh Miranda in the book who's the first woman I you know really had strong feelings for and who remains in my life is a very important uh romantic friendship I would say and um yeah just having my first experiences with her alone and realizing uh, I don't you know also I think you alluded to earlier like maybe I didn't go down on that woman that night because I wanted like a dick in the mix too. And I do like dick a lot clearly, but I realized through the experiences with Miranda that no, I'm not one of, you know, I I heard a lot of the swingers, a common phrase was like, I like women, but I need a dick in the room and I can take or leave a dick in the room. You know, like I can definitely um, have experiences and, and desire experiences on my own with women. It's not, um, just a performative or situational thing, although those things can certainly heighten arousal. So I yeah. think having clarity on that, you know, kind of made me realize, oh, okay, I am queer. <laughs> well, there you go. And what surprised you the most about being in a polyamorous relationship? Hmm. Um, I guess just how many things it turned out I could be into (laughs) and um, how much of what I was told a relationship should look like or my adult life should look like was just constructs that I could choose to adhere to or not. And that like a lot of these ideas that I've been sold about what love means, what commitment means were you know, ideas I've been sold and it doesn't mean I can't ascribe to any of them, but just realizing how malleable it actually is and how much 
it actually is my choice how much I want to ascribe to those narratives versus write my own definitions. Now, certainly when people talk about a polyamorous relationship, they think of this monogamous relationship they have, which is a lot of work. And they only imagine that being in a polyamorous relationship must be two times the amount of work or and or challenges because it means there's three or more people in the relationship. What would you say is, is was one of the biggest challenges that you faced being in a polyamorous relationship and how did you get through it? Yeah, I think that the biggest challenge for me was my jealousy, um, which was very strong um, in an unexpected way for me. Uh, But I think that also in retrospect, a lot of that was because of the power dynamic between Adam and me. It was also a Dom sub dynamic that wasn't particularly communicated. We didn't have clear rules or boundaries. So there was this feeling that the ground was always shifting in terms of the relationship agreement, um, in terms of how we were exploring non-monogamy and also kind of a, unfortunately, increasing undermining of my feelings. And whenever they didn't sort of match up with what he wanted, the narrative of the relationship was like, that was my fear. I just needed to change and like evolve more. And I think it was very hard to feel safe under those conditions because I didn't feel like like you're allowed to have incompatible desires or things that you want in a relationship and to part ways from that but it's very hard when you're in a situation where you have incompatible desires but the other person can't even acknowledge that your desires are valid or real in the first place so I think that that's a big part of why I'm so jealous in my relationship now I find I'm struggling a lot less if at all with jealousy at least at this point I'm always very humble of like it could always come back you know given the right situation but I think part of that is because I feel so safe and respected that my experience of jealousy is much more uh, pleasurable often of like oh I kind of really like that idea but it it makes sense because I'm in a dynamic more where you know I feel like I kind of want to have a little competition every now and then. I kind of want to have a little less Mm -hmm. power because he's so committed to me. Uh Yeah, no, that's great. I think it's cool. So what do you hope that the readers will gain from reading this story about your experiences? Um, I hope they feel less shame (laughs) and get a lot of information about why they're not freaks for having trouble with long-term monogamy or for having certain fantasies or desires I also hope they see a sort of uh, cautionary tale and learn from my many mistakes um, and see like the pitfalls of not communicating openly and clearly about non-monogamy, about kink. Um, you know, I think a lot of these ideas are out there, but then it can be really messy navigating them. And sometimes we err on the side of not wanting, especially with kink, I think, not wanting to talk about it because they're afraid it's going to like ruin the authenticity. But, you know, a lot of what we read in erotica, if you try to play it out that way with so little communication or boundaries or this kind of blurring of lines of consent, it can get really dangerous. Mm -hmm. And it's, you know, that's fantasy, that's erotica. And you can use communication, um, to like achieve safe containers to play out those fantasies. But if you try, you know, acting out a, um, you know, non-consent fantasy without talking about it first, like then you end up with often sexual assaults, things like that, you know? So it's like you really are playing with some very tricky things when you enter into these kinds of dynamics. And if you can't talk about it without, worrying you're going to like kill the magic that I think one of the most important lessons I learned is like, then that relationship's not a match. Like talking about it should get you more excited, not less. And and one of the things we always, always talk about, about people who want to dip their toes in swinging into the swinging lifestyle or even into kink. It's like, you know, talk about what your limits are. Go to the event or the party or whatever it is and don't stray from what you've agreed upon. And if you yeah. see something you really like, go home, 
talk about it and go back and do it again. Don't change your rules on the fly because that's when shit happens. And Carol and I, when we first started swinging, I got myself in so much shit because she said, this is what we agreed to. And three women yeah. came and grabbed me and said, oh, you know, we want to do you and blah, blah, blah. And I didn't tell her and I left the room. And all of a sudden she was looking for me and it ruined the evening mm-hmm. because I changed the rules on the fly. And all she said was, well, if you wanted to do that, just come over me. I said, you know, hun, I'm going over here. And what she said was, I'd love to watch. And that's what we learn along the way. So, you know, don't change your rules um, if yeah. to do things that you haven't tried or haven't spoken about. Go home, replay it, and go back and look forward to the next time. Yeah, especially with these new situations, we don't know what we don't know. And so you kind of have to give yourself some leeway to learn, uh, not, you know, take it out on each other, but give yourself some leeway to learn and, um, mm-hmm. and then try it again, that kind of thing. I think what you said, David, was exactly right. All right, let's just take a second and remind everybody that this is The Sexy Lifestyle. We are Carol and David. We're having an amazing discussion with author Rachel Krantz. But coming up next is Great Sex Matters. So stay right there. We'll be right back. So are you interested in vaginal rejuvenation and sexual health? It's a topic that we want to talk about more because how we look and how we feel make a huge difference in the way we live sexy. The company Lumisk has developed an easy treatment system for vaginal rejuvenation. It's a product that you can use on yourself and at home. It's a carboxy gel called CO2 Lift V. You simply mix together two packets of gel and apply it to your vulva and inside your vagina before bedtime and then rinse it out in the morning. The gel infuses CO2 into the skin to encourage blood flow. It promotes healing and cell regeneration. And the great thing is that there's no discomfort or downtime. This CO2 Lift V treatment keeps your vaginal tissue healthy and happy. It increases lubrication and sensation and makes sex more fun at any age. After you finish the initial course of weekly treatments, you can easily maintain your results with applications once a month. Also, it's a sure way to snap back after a long night of great sex. For more information, visit CO2Lift.com. Buy yours today and get a 15% discount if you use promo code SEXYLIFE at checkout. That's S-E-X-Y-L-I-F-E. Great sex starts now. And remember, if you're looking for an online open-minded community to meet compatible people in your area, you should go to sdc.com and use promo code 30314 for your first month free. So check it out. Absolutely. This is The Sexy Lifestyle. We're Carol and David. And now it's time for our favorite part of the show where we get to talk about great sex because... Well, great sex matters and we all deserve it. And of course, this is the part of the show where we get very personal with our guests. So... Rachel, I hope you're ready. What's interesting is I've already we've already been personal with Rachel because we've read her book and it is like it. It it is it. I mean, everybody has to go out and buy the book. Rachel will tell you where to get it at the end of the show. But, um, you know, the the question we want to ask you to start is, you know, as your journey through this new and exciting world of sexuality um, grew and grew and grew, has the sex gotten better? from where it was when you first entered it? Yeah, definitely. I would say my sex life has gotten a lot better just because I I have so much more of an attitude of like openness and exploration and non-judgmental attitudes towards myself and other people, um, a kind of recognition of the fluidity of all these things. But so. give, it, give us an example of something that's changed, let's say in the last year. And we won't talk about COVID because that's probably constrained you a little bit. But what what is one of the big things that changed in terms of how you used to fuck to how you do fuck? Mm. Um, I think I've gotten a lot better in my current relationship in communicating around BDSM um, and what I like with that and and working with my... um, partner to kind of like create those containers. And and part of it was we talked with um, the BDSM coach, Emily Ann, who you can find online. She was really great. And she kind of, yeah, like works with you to see what each of your desires are, talks to you together and individually, and then kind of like makes a a plan of how you can figure that out. Um, Because, yeah, I, I realized through my last dynamic that I was very into like, daddy girl dynamics but I also knew I didn't 
want it to be unspoken this time around or something that didn't have any boundaries to it or communication around it. So I, I feel like I've become a lot more accepting of that desire in myself, but also, yeah, like a lot better at communicating around it. Now, did you find your definition of great sex changed or changes or is changing as you grow with your, in this new world, you, you feel that your what, what you need to have great sex has changed at all? Mm. Yeah, I think that I increasingly work on letting go of the sort of linear narrative around sex and by no means past the idea that like, oh, it's going to usually end in penetration and hopefully orgasm. But I find that some of the best sex is stuff that doesn't have that sense of clear beginning, middle, end, mm, nice. or where it's not as predictable as always ending in that sort of um, way that there's, yeah, like a fluidity to it that's not always just about like a race to an orgasm mm -hmm. um, or exactly. where that's at the center of it. Mm -hmm. And have you had the opportunity to experience like using a strap-on or having a strap-on used on you? Yeah, you know, I keep, <laughs> I, I have had strap-ons used on me um, and I keep having almost of using them on other people. And then like for one reason or another, it doesn't feel like the right situation. I guess I'm waiting for my first uh, pegging of a guy to be like something special. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and then when I've been with women, we just haven't needed that or used that. Mm -hmm. So um, but yeah, it's on, it's on the menu. There's so much to explore still. And we all know, I've said it many times, why it's not my favorite thing to be using uh, a, a strap-on. You've had someone do a strap-on yes, on you. And, wh and why don't you like putting it on? <laughs> I purposely decide not to do it because it's a lot of work. <laughs> I'm, yeah, not right. say, yeah, I'm not sure. saying I'm a lazy lover, but that's just one of the things that takes a lot of work thrusting. I, I mean, men practice it because um, they have the muscles for it, but it takes a lot of work to thrust. And when you're not practiced in it, it's, uh, yeah. But it was very, very hot when Coco put on that two-sided dildo and yes, she fucked you yes. and it was vibrating yeah. and then and we slid our cocks in. I mean, it, it, when, when the it's situation it's is right, it's, not it's hot. very it's just, hot. Yeah, yeah. yeah. exactly. Yeah. So we definitely do have uh, um, strap-ons here in the house. It's just not me. I usually offer it for someone else to use. <laughs> yes. Sometimes they're memorable, <laughs> but sometimes they're experiences we don't want to make memorable. Yeah. So what has been your most memorable, memorable sexual experience through this whole journey? Oh my gosh. Don't make me choose. Um, <laughs> I mean, I guess what I talked about with Miranda, my first time being with a woman was certainly extremely memorable. Um, but so were the first threesomes with men. Um, extremely memorable first group sex. So like, yeah, I feel like firsts tend to be pretty memorable for obvious reasons. In in, in that in that group question. sex scenario, are you the queen bee? Carol is. is are you at the bottom and everybody's <laughs> doing you? Or are you directing and, and being that aggressor? Um, it depends. I mean, I think the experience I describe in the book where it was three men and three women, it felt pretty even, I guess, in terms of like, but I guess pretty heteronormative in terms of the the men were fucking the women the women were more kind of le laying back as the queens while they all you know went down on us or whatever so um i think it just depends i i found also with women uh one thing i talk about in the book that was kind of surprising to me is that i tend to be more of a top with women mm -hmm. whereas with men i tend to be more bottom i think i've realized all these things are very fluid and right. socialized but yeah that was always interesting to me that uh, um, often in these group experiences with women I would take on more of the dominant role. Now for sure you've played out a lot of your fantasies do you feel you still have plenty more fantasies to play out? Tell us one. Oh, definitely. One fantasy. <laughs> um, well I still haven't seen my uh, boyfriend with another woman and he's a massage therapist. So I just feel like that'll be really exciting whenever we find the right woman for that, to watch him give a massage to another woman mm -hmm. to just for us both to make her feel as good and taken care of as possible. And then to watch him with someone else, I think will be 
really fun for me. Um, I don't know. I think I also haven't, well, that's not true. I have at a party had like a multiple men all attention on me, but I think that, yeah, like that continues to be interesting for me. The kind of, I don't love the term gangbang, but you know, some sort of situation where you're just like overtaken by a lot of different people. Hun, hun, you want to share your fantasy? Yeah, I still have the fantasy of seeing, well, uh, some guy um, sucking David's cock. I don't know if it's ever mm, yeah. going to happen. In it a swinger not. situation. Yeah, it might not ever happen, but that's okay. I'm I'm waiting for that fantasy to come too. Uh, I, do- I love that that's your fantasy and that you, you're open about that because I think that's one thing we as women can really do to help like increase the breadth of sexual experiences men are allowed to have. You know, like we in the lifestyle are so encouraged to explore with other women, but then there's this kind of fear. I think that if you see your man with another man, you're going to feel like he's being emasculated somehow, but it wasn't um, till I actually had an experience with a man who's like one of the sexiest people on earth to me. And he revealed, you know, in the book that he sometimes had sex with men, even though he didn't identify as bisexual, um, that I was like, oh, wait, like picturing that is actually really hot. And I felt like so surprised by it because (laughs) it was something that, you know, because we live in such a homophobic society, like I wasn't trained to believe that could be hot. It was like, of course, me with another woman would be hot to a guy, but not, you know, a guy with another guy. But that experience really opened me up to it because I found like, oh, and and I started meeting more men who when they came out as, to me which happened or fluid which happened increasingly as I was out myself as bi or fluid or non-monogamous that I realized like oh these really just discriminatory bad ideas I had been socialized with that like these are somehow not as manly men or something like that it was actually a lot of times often the most type a sexually voracious masculine men who are the most right. open to mm-hmm. these things oh, yeah. because they were just like sexually virile and open, you right. know? And so I started having that association too and being like, Oh, you know, this is not even necessarily something that feminizes. Not that there's anything wrong no. with men being feminized, but you know, like if I was worried that would affect my attraction, that it was actually kind of the opposite. It made them seem kind of even more secure yeah and, and you know you mentioned pegging earlier and um it's 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 becoming more and more of a norm in couples we've we've been hearing we've been seeing and and you know pegging is just about you know the woman doing the guy in the ass because it's okay for the guy to do the woman anal and in today's relationships it doesn't make you bi or gay or anything if you're in a a, a couple two people and the woman does the guy in the ass. Yeah, sure. You know, it, in in the past, it's been well. If the guy gets something in his ass, he's gay, and it's like no, oh. it's just part of sex. And you know what Carol was saying earlier about the fact that she'd like to see another guy suck my cock. In, in you know, in my world, one of my favorite visuals is you know when I'm fucking someone and another girl comes and pulls my cock out of her pussy and licks all the pussy juices off my cock and then slides it back in. Well, one of Carol's would be to have me fucking someone and a guy pulls my cock out and she's watching him suck all the juices off and slide it back in. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's just that that we never say never. No, and you don't know what's going to turn you on until you try the next thing and the yeah. next thing and the next thing. That's why I was asking you if you had a different definition of great sex because I feel I have a different definition of great sex today than I ever had. And it probably was different five years ago and different five years ago before that. And it's cool that you keep evolving with what is great sex. And we're still pushing those boundaries Mm -hmm. to continue searching for the next best sex. And I I think that's cool. So, you Mm -hmm. know, we're coming to the end of the show. We have a couple more questions. One of them we want to talk to you about um, on our previous show when we had you on we spoke a little bit about it because you did go to Hito and that was one of your eye-opening experiences and, and we're not going to get into all that stuff if anybody wants to hear about Rachel's experience at Hito just go back and listen to um, uh, that show it was about a year and a half ago but just tell us about 
when you were at Hedo, your experience or what you experienced in the playroom? Because that playroom there is, you know, one of those places that exists only at Hedo. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, well, in the playroom, I had fun. I think that if you see in the book, that was a kind of fraught, very up and down trip um, where there was a lot of sex and a lot of fighting. <laughs> um, so it was a kind of, you know, I think I was in that playroom with some varied motivations to both explore, but also to kind of like prove that if I had veto power or the sense of control that I wanted, that he would get the openness he wanted. So there was kind of all those things mixed up into it. But um, yeah, I mean, I think one thing that happened was a woman who had been flirting a lot with Adam, who I had felt kind of jealous of, um, she came over and once I started kissing her, I realized like, oh, I'm attracted to her. And I realized a lot of my jealousy often with women underneath it, there was often an attraction Mm. that I was suppressing Mm. um, or just channeling into more socially acceptable, you know, jealousy and that sort of thing. So yeah, then we ended up having our first full swap out of that experience. Um, And, and I think that was, that was the first time, not that I saw Adam with someone else, but where I saw him inside someone else. Mm -hmm. And um, I think, yeah, it was very memorable because I was like, oh, I actually enjoy this. Oh, cool. That's very, <laughs> yeah. very cool. So like David said, we are coming to the end of our um, hour here, and we usually like to leave our audience with some final advice. So Rachel, what would you say are the top two things that you would like to tell people who are interested in exploring non-monogamy and in their own lives? What would you tell them or advise them? Yeah, I mean, my first piece of advice would be like, go for it, but also make sure you have resources and support. And so I think, you know, reading open, reading Kathy Labriola's books, um, reading the ethical slut, listening to the podcast, multi Amory, those are all like really good places to start listening to your podcast. But, you know, I think also finding your local community, even if that's on Facebook, um, just to have some sense of like community norms and someone else to talk to, because it can be very isolating to explore these things, you know, just you both as a couple and things can get really messy sometimes. And it's good to have outside opinions and experiences to help you know, okay, is this like really not okay? What my partner's doing, or am I just like adapting Mm -hmm. to something that's emotionally difficult you know, how do I know when to keep pushing myself or not? And and one of the things we always talk about, and and Rachel, you've said it like, I don't know how many times on the show, is you and your partner, whoever they may be, or partners, need to have that open line of communication. And you just need to talk about shit. You can't hold um, um, untruths. You just have to say how you feel, what you did, what experience. And if shit hits the fan, you can't hold it against each other because... As a couple, you've agreed to do it together. And like you said, you know, there is the negatives. There's lots of positives. And if you can work through it, you end up becoming a stronger couple or thruple or polyamorous um, community or whatever it is. And, you know, what we found over the last 15, 16 years is there's really not very much drama or um, ungenuine people in this. Most people are genuine. They're in it for... Um, in, increasing the intimacy and the the strength of their couple, and you know if you if you're in a situation and it doesn't feel right, it's not right, and it's okay to say, you know what, this isn't right for me, and go and start all over again the mm-hmm. next time. Mm-hmm, for sure, mm-hmm. definitely. All right, Rachel Krantz, Rachel Krantz, we love having you on our show. We're so excited that you wrote this book. Um, We hope everybody buys it. Um, Thanks for sharing all this great information. Now you get a minute to tell us where people can find you and, of course, buy this amazing book. Thank you. This was so fun. Um, So Open is available wherever books are sold, um, online or your local bookstore. There's, um, you know, not only the ebook and hardback version, but also an Audible 
version narrated by me. Um, so that's a lot of fun and definitely its own experience because you'll hear exactly how I intended the <laughs> jokes to land. Um, but yeah, so those are all available. And then you can follow me and my work on Twitter at Rachel Krantz. That's my handle is just my name. Same thing on Instagram at Rachel Krantz. Wow, that's great. And of course, if you missed any of this information, you just have to go to our website, thesexylifestyle.com, where every one of our guests has their own guest page with all of their information. You can even contact them directly there if you have any question about uh, their work or where to find their work. Absolutely. And every week, like we did this week, we're learning more and more from all our great guests. We hope you do too. And you know, if you have any questions at all, you can always send us an email at ask at carolanddavid.com. Alrighty, the end of another great show with a super special, amazing guest. Rachel Kranz, thank you so much for being here today. Thank you. Thanks for having me. This was so fun. Our pleasure. And as we do every week, we want to thank all our listeners for being there week in and week out. And you can join us again next time for another hour of The Sexy Lifestyle, talking about sex, sexuality, sexual health and pleasure, and all the fun ways to spice up your sex life and live happy, healthy, and always horny. Well, that's it for our show today. Carol and I and Rachel send you lots of love and great sex. Please stay safe. And of course, stay sexy, everybody. Until next time. Thank you for joining Carol and David for this week's edition of The Sexy Lifestyle. We've got another one lined up next Friday at 3 p.m. Pacific Time, 6 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. The weekend is just around the corner, so try something new, spice it up, and you just might have the best sex ever. <laughs>